Hard Witchcraft Podcast, episode 150. Do you think we'll be doing this in another 150 years? Fucking hope not. No? That would be a lot of episodes, wouldn't it? That would be a lot of episodes. Do you think we could talk for that amount of episodes? I'm sure we could. I mean, it would be a whole nother, at least like one to two generations of us mm. bad-mouthing multiple generations of neo-pagans, wouldn't it? Would be. Yeah, unless, of course, they suddenly buck up their ideas and start getting better, but I doubt that very much. Does that mean this is likely our third anniversary of No Hods Bard? I have no idea. I can tell you that it's the last episode of No Hods Bard Witchcraft, potentially, depending on whether people really, really need us, I suppose. I mean, 150 episodes. Do people really still need... The words of wisdom, Chris. I mean, they surely, if they didn't need the words of wisdom, if someone doesn't need our input, then they wouldn't really be interacting. They'd be off doing their own little things, wouldn't they, and such. So surely it's uh, a good sign that there's limited interaction between various people. And in the community that we've built, it surely means that they don't need us anymore. Well, yeah, you could make that argument, I think. Well, that's the argument that I'm making, and that's the argument that I think that we're going to go with. (laughs) However, just because it's potentially the end of the life of the No Holes Bar Witchcraft podcast, does not necessarily mean that it's the end of people's physical corporeal lives, does it? Now, if you worked in the medical profession, that's very much about preserving life and such, you know? Just think about the amount of corpses that you've seen walking around, zombies, you know? They slowly make their way through doctor's surgery, bits of, you know, dead skin and stuff like that getting dropped on the floor, only to make their way over to you to moan about their prescriptions. You've had years worth of that, haven't you? Yeah, I'm good. I don't need any more. No, no more. Do you see the the um? Do you see preserving of life as a good thing? Um, I struggle with pervert with the concept of preserving life at all cost. Ah, I never said at all costs. I just said in general. Do you consider it to be an admirable good thing? Um, generally speaking, yes. Okay, so what are the uh, the finer details of that? When is it a good thing versus when is it a bad thing? Um, for me, it's all about quality of life. So if someone is not having a very good quality of life, why force them to stay here? Like I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of those that, you know, doctor assisted suicide kind of thing. Um, the kind of which is a big big discussion in the uk i don't know if it's anywhere near as big in the us i don't know our us you our american friends will have to mention it in the comments but um i know i'm a big part of the big supporter of the kind of uk push for you know end of life being a choice that you can make um cuz i i know i've talked to you about it from pretty much when we very first met like 
when I stop being me, um, I definitely don't want to be here. So, do you personally put a generic value on a human life? And are some human lives worth more than others to you and such? How do you stand on that? Um, I don't know. I'm, obviously, there's that natural atta attachment that us humans have to one another where you wouldn't want to see someone go. But my assumption is, I assume, and where I base it on, is I equally wouldn't want to see that person in in pain or struggling and i don't think if if someone chooses and says you know i've had 85 very good years <laughs> i'm ready to go now my partner ethel is dead i don't really want to stay anymore i'm i'm a drive <laughs> you know i'm a drain on my family's lives having that conversation with the GP and going, can you stick a needle in my arm, please? Um, I don't, I don't think that that is, I don't think that is a bad thing. Um, we wouldn't allow, I often compare it to pets. You wouldn't let, you wouldn't let a, a dog or a cat suffer. You'd put them down. Um, and it is always weighed up on quality of life is often, amount of pain and quality of life is normally the argument that is made. What about the, you know, universal, um, the, the value like universally of life of a healthy person, for example, do you think that there is, you could put some sort of value on that or not? I don't know. It's difficult. I think it's difficult to put a, generic value on life itself um i know lots of people probably do in the in the terms of this capitalist world where you spend what you like well it's more normally about um scarcity isn't it so if mm. you've got lots of something then that's usually cheaper than if there's less of something so when there's an endless amount of people it doesn't really matter if you've got lots of potential slaves and such, lots of potential worker bees, then it doesn't matter if a couple of them die off, does it? Hmm. Whereas if no, there aren't that many, if the species was, you know, coming to an end and such, and there weren't that many people around, then each universal human life is probably worth a little bit more to that society and such. What about yeah. potential? So if you were to rate a human life, if you had to come up with value of human life, how would that rating system potentially work? Would you refuse like some sort of, uh, you know, human rights hippie or something like that to put a value on it or to entertain the thought? Because we're not actually going to do it. We're not going to auction people off and shoot them or anything. This is merely just a thought experiment. Would you refuse to entertain the notion of the thought experiment and such? Or would you give a long, hard thought to it? And what's the first sort of things that would spring to mind if you was to think of a value? Um, it's a difficult one, and I'm trying to avoid stumbling into some kind of, you know, 
Aryan race Nazi thing that you're trying to trick me into doing or something. Oh um, how, how the, why the hell does your mind even go there? That makes no sense whatsoever to me. My mind, my mind goes there because nothing is ever a nice, simple um, thought exercise with you. It is normally to make me look bad. Um, I mean, you can go back in 150 episodes and really think of the amount of times where I've made you look bad. Okay, there might have been a couple of times where I've just given you just enough rope to hang yourself by. And you do it almost every time, you know? So we might as well make a big one for the 150th episode. If you want to come out with some next level area Nazi shit, you can. But that wasn't where I was going with it. So I find it difficult because it's the same reason I struggle with when you look at kind of societal structures like um, and kind of socioeconomic groupings that always comes down to politics. So lots of people will push towards this kind of like, no, we should all just have equal share of everything and go down the commie way. Um, but I think if, if you're being totally honest, not everyone performs an equal share of the work. Now that's okay. Like I don't have a problem with that in the sense that but that makes that makes putting a quantity to them very difficult because for example like a musician produces something that gives a large number of people some um various different kinds of support but that is really hard to quantify in the same way that you quantify a doctor because you could kind of go, oh, well, that person has maintained and looked after this, these 2,000 people um, and kept them all healthy. But that's one person supporting those 2,000 people. So have they done more than the three music musicians that might provide three different kinds of musical entertainment that offers all manners of mental health support and uh, distraction and all those things how do you equate the two the doctor i suppose tries its best to prolong life and help life flourish and such whereas the musician potentially makes life worth living in the first place <laughs> yes and that's what I mean, it kind of goes down to, which is why I kind of give those two examples is because it always comes down to how much pain, <laughs> which is where the doctor and the pharmacist come in. And, um, you know, quality of life. So the doctor isn't going to look after you every day. They're just going to look after you when you're poorly. Which, you know, if you got to the point could you get to the point where you make the doctor irrelevant? I suppose I'm interested in whether you'd make the decision logically or maybe something from the heart or maybe some pre-set ethics that you've decided that that is the method that you would go down because, you know, it's the most legal. 
I suppose, when in Rome and all of that, go by modern 21st century British ethics, for example. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few type thing. Just a generic thing that kind of... Mm. A lot of people would forgive you for making a harsh decision if it was based on that. I don't know, because I, I probably would do the same sort of thing that, you know, um, in the Marvel universe, Thanos goes and does and eliminate half of them because of overpopulation and just do it at random. Um, there's a part of it. Really well. So if you were... That's um, a cleaner answer. But If you were emperor of the world, right? Say you took that demotion and became an emperor <laughs> of the world, right? And you think, oh, look, there's a bit of an overpopulation problem. Sure, we have a lottery. And in that lottery, we'll just pick a load of random people and kill them off. So I have two questions there. The first question is whether you would choose that as your method. The second question is if you did choose that as your method, then would you take people out or put people in that kind of killing pool? So if someone popped up, like, say, a um, a family member or something like that, would you say, well, actually, no, this one don't count, so they won't go in the death party? Or, oh, actually, I don't like this Putin guy. He keeps trying to challenge my rule. I'm going to put him in, type thing. So how, how would it work? I don't know, because any lottery I pulled would be unnaturally biased anyway, would it not? Yes, exactly. So, because we can't we can't say that I wouldn't be able to not influence the outcome. So, being Is super witch and all. works, though, as well. A lesson to be learnt there. That that's technically going to take the path of least resistance from, as you've stated before, with people not just from an energetic perspective, but also from the journey. Killing two birds with one stone. That your enemies are probably just naturally going to end up on the list of uh, people we send to the furnace. You can't send them to a gas chamber, Chris, because that has negative connotations. But you can send them to a furnace because that one has not been done for a good. Well, since biblical times, isn't it? <laughs> well, let's just, I think the kind of Thanos analogy of just snapping them out of existence is more my kind of style anyway. Um, because it takes less energy and they're as better for greenhouse gases and such. Yeah, I'd think about running all those furnaces and the impacts that that would have. Clearly Hitler had no interest in, you know, ozone layer. We thought the sky was made of ice. That's yes, why that he stopped the rocket program, because he thought that if they fired the rockets, ice was going to fall on Germany. That's a legitimate thing. You can look that up. He was a crazy motherfucker. But then he was part of the Norse problem, so, you know. Yes. Anyhow, so, so it's interesting. You're taking more of a logical approach, and then you're assuming that you're going to have naturally occurring um, emotional alterations let's say well i think that's just that's the most obvious way you you know ultimately you've got to remember there's far too much saturnine about me um that kind of order makes far more sense to me than disorder 
Um, and this is the thing, you know, for me, in order to encourage life to exist, so if you were to say, you know, planting planting a set of, I don't know, runner beans or sweet peas or whatever you fancy, you could just let them naturally just, you know, grow, cause a huge mess on the floor, or you could promote that growth by providing it something to climb. Is so, this how COVID came about? <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what i mean like so i think there is a yes is that what your idea was there <laughs> i think there's a net a certain amount of um a certain amount of order that's required for nature to blossom in its most effective way um the problem we have these days is those decisions are made by imbeciles um but the you know that's been a problem for the last age has it not yeah stupidity was often confined to empires mm. now it has the potential global effect there is a lack of wisdom but too much intelligence yes it's like sometimes having too big a data set ruins ruins a process if you're trying to find a cause for something you know people complain that oh well there was only 400 people doing that study and you come like well yes to kind of try and make it the fairest thing possible having two million people in the study is not necessarily going to make that more accurate but you know science um where are you wanting me to go with this because ultimately well, yes i think logic give away the secrets to life extension or magic until we go on to the extended edition surely which is at least oh, I see. so we've got to drag out the first bit you filibustering them a bit do you want to do some titillating a bit of a flick of the nipples give them a little bit of a taste of what's on store in terms of high level occult knowledge um, I suppose it will naturally go from an alchemical point of view and then we'll go on to something more effective. Um, it's probably the way in which we'll deal with it because that's uh, how so we... Basically, advanced potion making with regards to spagyrics and then going <laughs> on to the mysteries of Saturn. Probably, yes. Okay, there we go. I hope people are titillated. <laughs> but, yeah... Um... yeah ultimately i think it comes down to timing not to make it a saturn thing but the regardless of whether or not that is preserving life at all cost in those kind of moments so you know it would not win any kind of votes in a democracy <laughs> if you were to turn around and say um Okay, well, the, the answer to this is we need less, less mouths to feed. Um, here's a list for you, where you can sign up to be eliminated. Would not be a winning, a winning aspect of, of kind of governance, would it, in the kind of modern world? Um, 
Whereas there are those natural ways of doing it. Like part of the problem is I blame McDonald's. All those preservatives have kept people that should be dead already living for far too long. Um, Prescription medications and such. Yes, that's the other one. And the policy means that certainly in the UK, those that have got uh, gorged themselves to the point where they need a forklift truck to visit the hospital get free prescriptions. Yeah. Right, okay. So the system itself that we live in with regards to the universe and creation and such is is a harsh universe, isn't it? It is dog eat dog. It's not supposed to be some wonderful, you know, utopia, um, utopian kind of existence and such. So it is quite a harsh thing, which means that there has to be love and both loss, isn't it? But how far can we push that? And what is the story? If you can tell us a little bit of the story of Asclepius, and then maybe give your thoughts on the perspective of what a mortal or would-be witch and such would learn and take away from that because there can be dangers in becoming too effective at one's craft when it comes to being a healer and such i don't know whether people would would pick up that from that story um possibly not to be fair but kind of the focus the focus on the asclepian story is about it's not really about overcoming death at all, um, but it is the kind of what you would often describe as the kind of, you know, demigod reality of living up to one's potential and getting to a point where um, you are no longer, no longer corporeal, um, but can continue that work in a non-corporeal way. So kind of, what most people would call ascension um so you're taking it from the perspective of asclepius ascending through an art and the art chosen art was healing but he mm. also would have had a an unnatural advantage let's say yes in that because he is not merely your average mortal no so yeah so there's for me there's a storyline that's there that kind of isn't necessarily one that's achievable for all. So it's the question is how useful is that? Um, you know, for me, it always goes back to what the point, what's the point of becoming a witch if your fixation is gonna be on other people's rules? Um, you know, the whole point of going on a path of witchcraft is about affecting change. Um, if you're not willing to affect change, then why are you on this pathway at all? Um, so for for Asclepius, it's a case of, well, actually, it wasn't necessarily the goal, but it was effectively the rule, the, the decided plan that was going to occur for Asclepius either way. Um, you could either lean into it or try and escape it. And I'm sure because all those stories have moments where they try and escape their de dest destiny. I'm sure there is somewhere written about it, somewhere. Um, Asclepius is one of those ones that I, I wonder if we hear far too much about from the kind of Roman lens, and therefore there is a, there is a goal setting in deification that occurs in the kind of Roman 
mentality that doesn't exist in the kind of Greek. Um, so for me, that's quite an interesting one. What I very much like about Asclepius is universal health is is kind of the goal of Asclepius there. And that doesn't mean kind of eradicating disease. Like, that's not what that means. Universal health means you understand what your body needs and you engage in meeting those requirements. So, you know, if that means if you're somebody who... Um, is naturally inclined to be um, a heavy eater, for example, or like sweet things, that you learn to balance that out. So whether or not that is through exercise um, or if that's through moderation, um, you learn to kind of go, well, actually, I know I like to do all these, th eat all these things that are really bad for me, um, but I'm actually going to make these these certain adjustments to mean that I can still make it to a ripe old age of 80, 90. Um, and that will go through various different changes that are required throughout that pathway in order to make that happen. So like the Greek hospital was far more like, you know, a, an holistic health centre that was run by the, by the gods. So, you know, that was a health spa. There are rooms where you could deal with mental health. There were rooms where you could go um, and have kind of spa treatments in, in a kind of like, you know, beaten with reeds and that sort of thing. Um, rather than what you think of, which is cucumbers on your eyes and some, some slave rubbing your toes. Like, I don't mean that. I mean, like a series of kind of hot and cold baths, um, you know, and oils and spagerics and all those kind of things being rubbed into every orifice um so kind of you know going through those kind of processes of full body treatment um is quite kind of what universal healthcare was in that sense um was that you were looking at your entire um constituents that make you up and then meeting those needs um which is essentially what we need to go back towards, in my opinion, is that you start to think more about... Like, cost the money. You know? Um, so, yes, and, yes and no. I think what the world lacks for it is infrastructure. So, you know, um, I remember there was a an experiment years ago. I'm sure it was in the Netherlands or something like that one of these kind of nice nice um, hippie countries where they actually think about collective health. So then therefore they were able to eradicate the need to have um, chicken farms by actually getting every household to have three chickens. So that costs money and I'm not necessarily talking about costing money from the perspective if you've got to buy the chickens i'm talking about the company is costed money because mm -hmm. no one's buying their chickens anymore like a pharmaceutical company you could think it costs them money losing clients yeah. losing people to buy medications and such so there's many different politics that comes into play with regards to that 
but yeah decentralization is kind of what i'm talking about there of our kind of basic needs and then you can start only having to invest in public needs that are outside of that if you could manage your own personal health um, and keep yourself fed and watered then that way you would only have to collectively deal with the bigger problems um like surge you know you could keep doctors only having to do things like surgery and compete with real health problems like cancer like you know um rather than having to deal with comorbidity you know comorbidities of you know and one of the greatest understated um illnesses that people again it's understated people don't talk about it and that one of those things is loneliness i mean the amount mm. of appointments that you've heard older people and stuff like that make to go to the doctor just because they want to talk to someone yeah crazy isn't it again it's kind of decentralizing so everyone actually goes oh, okay i know all my neighbors again like you know one of those things needs to happen where there are lots of people i know in this country that live on a street where they don't actually know who their neighbors are um because they've never stopped and spoken to any of them yeah because... they've not gone to borrow a cup of sugar let alone a cup of yarrow you know right people bugger off and go and do some magic now we've had enough of you plebs goodbye Right, so when we look at the Asclepian story and stuff like that, can, depending on where we, the reader, listener, you know, person comes from, they might take certain lessons from it. We've already talked about from the perspective of you were saying the system whereby, you know, Asclepius, the Asclepian hospitals, we'll just call them for lack of a better term, uh, works, how the, how the structure and stuff works. You could also look at the philosophy of it and the mythology of it, but you could also talk about the prices that you can pay for going against the natural order, i.e. Asclepius, it would seem on the outside or on the face of it, had the power in order to effect great change, cure, you know, making less people die and such like that. But moves in counter moves the system rebalanced didn't it i think yeah. it was was it hades petitioned zeus to what was it the quote do something about it or something like that mm. <laughs> go and sort this lad here out mm. i think there's um i think there's one thing to kind of point out just kind of going on this kind of universal health is that's only really possible if there is a lot less of us um like because you know because of the damage we have done to this ecosystem um of a world that we live in there are we would have to do a lot of work collectively to give the health back to the earth that it is required like we are on that kind of knife point not kind of doomsday -y. i'm not that kind of person you know ultimately if we all suddenly died tomorrow 
You strike me as the sort that loves a good doomsday. Oh, no, I can't stand it. It really fucks me up. You don't like end of the world shit? No, I can't. It bores me terribly. Um, Because ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, if we all eradicated ourselves tomorrow, um, the planet would eventually get better um, because dead things aren't necessarily a problem. Um, If you think about all the time we spend digging up other dead things by that i mean fossil fuels um or gems or other things that we plunder from the earth all of those things only exist because something died um if you if you fan if you know think about that (laughs) and try not to go into an existential crisis um is ultimately things die that's kind of what happens it's you know the only certain thing about life is that eventually it dies. Um, taxes, they used to say, but then at the same time, if you're wealthy enough, one doesn't have to <laughs> to pay taxes. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so I I kind of just want to kind of end off with that, end that kind of bit off with that, which is the Asclepian kind of dream comes down to the fact that ultimately we need to care a lot more about each other than we currently do if you want to see even a fraction of that kind of utopian dream um because ultimately it wouldn't end there you wouldn't get to utopia because ultimately people are selfish it's well, one of these the... crazy cults and shit like that and they start up these weird little housing associations and it all starts off really good and they all help each other out but they end up backstabbing each other and then one yeah. crazy cult leader comes and takes over because ultimately someone gets greedy that's always what happens um because ultimately you know the more someone has the more someone wants um and you can fuck off all you hippies that say that's not true because it is true um unfortunately there's a reason we talk all the all the great you know big religions all talk about the same thing which is sin what they call it is different things but ultimately it's it's covered even if you go to the kind of buddhist religions you talk about it in that is attachment um attachment is the sin like so you know it kind of depending on where you're coming from whatever religion you're going for you are going to talk about something of you know um and then there is the flip side of that which is what we call witchcraft which is you know stop caring about all that bullshit um and actually you know take what is needed but I think I think the question that I have often been asked, and I, I'm assuming you have too, Liam, which is, you know, well, if, if witchcraft is so fucking good, then there'd be no hunger, there'd be no, um, there'd be no disease, there'd be no like, and why aren't witches spending all their time think solving the big problems of the world? witchcraft is conservative (laughs) (laughs) i've been like so i I had this discussion with someone where obviously they were very very lefty so whenever someone has a very very staunch political viewpoint i like to just be a right cunt so i I, because they spout on about this uh you know lefty everyone loves each other kind of wickedy bullshit about we've all got to come together and love the earth and all that i i was basically saying look witchcraft from comes from a conservative 
perspective, you know, if you're not of a conservative persuasion in your own life and the way that you conduct yourself, then you have no business calling yourself a witch, to which they were highly fucking offended by. But it is really realistically about the two, because you have the consideration or the, the perspective that with regards to how I treat the rest of the world and how I want the political system and the government and such like, that would be a little bit more left from the perspective if you want everyone to basically, if someone needs money or someone needs help, then they should be able to get it. Yeah. But that fairly, that doesn't tend to work out very well from a policy perspective. From the perspective of the individual, you want the individual to be conservative or the individual to be, you know, uh, sovereign. You want the individual to be the person that says, I will do it myself. I'm going to get there. So the difference is between the person, which I can give you two examples, because I coach someone at the moment with MS, multiple sclerosis. And they come in on a mobility scooter to my gym and they have to get themselves off the mobility scooter and then crawl along the floor to the free weight section, which they do. Now, there are other people with that condition that, are, that aren't as disabled as that person that person but they sit rotting in a chair they have more of a mindset of i need other people to do this for me i need other people to do that for me and it's that big kind of political difference i tend to find with certain people with regards to left right politics because i think i'd say we're fairly both centrist because i dislike the left and i dislike the right i think they're both fucking idiots but there we go. But the, the mindset is the mindset is the fact that, no, I want there to be systems and people in place to help that person with MS. I want there to be as best we can as humans with the technology and stuff that's available. I want them to get the help that they need. But at the same time, they themselves, the individual, needs to have the attitude of, fuck it, I'm not going to let this condition, you know, get in my way. You need to have a fuck it, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to defy all odds kind of uh, a perspective, which is exactly the witchcraft perspective at the end of the day. And to a certain extent, it's the capitalistic style perspective, because it is all about creating a structure and building something as opposed to taking it down. There's far too many people that want to reverse engineer, dissect and take apart something without actually putting anything back together again. They want to destroy rather than create. The only reason that you have to destroy things is really to replace them because nature abhors a vacuum. If you're going to destroy something, you need to replace it with something else. And presumably to go through the effort of destroying it, you should probably come from the perspective of you want to build something better. <laughs> but I don't know. I just spouted a load of stuff, mainly just to upset a certain individual, but it worked wonderfully. Yeah. And I don't think it's totally wrong. I think, you know, for me, <laughs> I, um, in my work, like I work for a trust that is very much of that, you know, we can heal everything kind of approach. Um, and there are parts of it that work really well, um, but it's very costly, like you say, like our, we probably spend half our budget entirely on food 
Um, and that is because the part of the ethos of the work that we do um, is that you heal from the inside out, like that um, the gut biome is the, um, you know, place that you need to fix in order to fix lots of other things. Obviously, one of the guiding principles is Steiner, and obviously he thinks you could um, heal autism. But, you know, we don't go that far. Um, but the there is so a big part of that is eating organic food. Um, now, obviously, that what that doesn't take into consideration is to go on a fully all all natural, all wonderful diet means that that is going to involve you eating things um, that your body doesn't have the constitution to deal with. So a lot of these all natural things are full of natural sugars um, or are entirely full of big fats um, like that, that are in olive oil or coconut milk or all these kind of high rich things which means actually you need a lot less of them, not more of them. But if you're feeding all those kind of really great things in, you know, um, um, big worker portions, then you are actually all you're doing is is giving them a different kind of imbalance, a different kind of, you know, problem that's caused by you can't throw all the good things it's like to me it's like multivitamins your body doesn't need all of those vitamins that are in that multivitamin tablet so it takes the things that it needs and it pisses out the rest um like you know um also some of them are in such small quantities that you'd get them better out of a carrot then you probably would have got them out of the multivitamin tablet. But we have a very one-size-fits-all approach to most things. And I think that's also a problem with witchcraft as a whole, as a movement these days, is they think, well, it works for that person, so it's going to work for me too, and it's not. So I suppose we should talk about mediocre bullshit pleb magic because you know it's no holds barred witchcraft now you illustrate you 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 started on a really really interesting point there which was about um rudolf steiner and that and the interest in trying to cure autism and stuff now there are magical practitioners such as ourselves that do and are capable of doing big works and capable of reshaping very big things that many people would consider to be impossible. And a lot of your everyday average pleb is not going to necessarily understand why or why you would not involve yourself with things like that. Obviously, we all have our individual reasons for taking on certain cases and such like that, but you would have to go over that in an individual level. What I do draw a big distinction with and what I think listeners need to draw a distinction with is those that can and those that choose not to. Because the plebs are those that cannot. Okay. There's the cans 
who can do things, but they choose not to, or they have their reasons for that. But the plebs and the ones that you really need to, to watch out for from a magical kind of path sense in terms of choosing mentors and, and learning and such like that. If you get these people that are calling in goddesses and gods, to ask and petition them to get them to do some sort of healing ritual. Oh, this person, oh, let's do a laying on of hands. Let's pray to Jesus to cure this person of their cancer and such. Very often, what that magical practitioner, the reason why they're not a witch, why they're just some priest or a neo-pagan or something like that, whether they're Christian or whether they're worshiping this, that, and the other, is that they're not the ones that are performing the surgery. They're not the ones that are making the decision. They're not the ones that are probing into the matter to try and work out what's going on. All they're doing is essentially saying, I don't really know what's up here, but I've got the, the contact details for someone or something that might be able to help. That isn't a witch. A magical practitioner that really wants to progress is going to take every opportunity like that and see it as an opportunity you know? And I don't quite get how that hasn't dawned on certain people. Now, whenever I or you take on a case, I think it will really, and I can really only speak to my, for myself, but I'd be interested in your input to see how it would differ, is that I tend to go by the story of the person. So the first thing that I'm going to ask them when they've come to me or they've been pushed towards me by someone or something is to tell me what's going on in their life, why it is that they want help with and why and what it is that they think their outcome is. What is your story, in other words? And some people will have a very simple story where they came from a certain situation. And in that, from the psychic perspective, you think, well, I can, for either a psychic perspective or even a mundane sense, you can see how they've arrived in their predicament sometimes is purely logical and really what they need to do is grow up and get a fucking life and deal with shit instead of being pushed about and walked all over and such in which case if i'm to intervene with that you sure as shit aren't going to be getting me to wave a magic wand and make everything a nice easy finish and fix for you you're going to be learning the error of your ways you're going to be learning why even if it's painful you're going to be learning why you got into that situation. For others, it's how we choose, how we interact and change our story. Because any magical practitioner from a fiction perspective, from the perspective of whether it's Lord of the Rings, whether it's Harry Potter, whether it's some folklore thing, when a magical practitioner gets in on the action, the story, it changes. And it can change dramatically. And that is your role as a magical practitioner. You have that power over someone else's story that you can change it dramatically, which means that you need to use a considerable or is a considerable amount of responsibility on your shoulders. And the very juvenile perspective of taking a, well, I'm just going to try and do what the client or what the person wants me to do is not necessarily always going to work out the best way. The amount of times I've been begged to make this illness go away or to fix this problem, that problem, when it's all clear to see that that person needs to go through that thing, would I really be helping them if I made that all go away? Or do they need to live through that thing? Whether they're begging you to kill them or not, it doesn't really matter. 
point is is that from your perspective as a magical practitioner you have to make that call you have to make that decision and that decision is based on you being the storyteller to a certain extent or trying to pick up on the narrator or the original storyteller because people before they meet you are on some sort of a story that they've constructed themselves or maybe it might be something related to fate or what have you but either way there's something going on you have to decide whether to intervene or not but you know that if you do intervene then there's going to be a big change as a thought is how one makes that decision though that's the problem any thoughts um yeah ultimately ultimately which is why the all the things that we've talked about today have to be done on an individual basis um you know you can't like thanos snap your fingers and get rid of them all um in that kind of clinical way because actually you're not really going to solve the problem um because you can't do it in a kind of um non-caring uh, mercurial separation by okay well let's just let's just get rid of the sickest or let's just get rid of because the possibilities of what loss in by removing those parts of the story is that we might not get the ending we want yeah. um, and I think that's why you know it gets tricky when particularly when you start to talk about um, how to make grand impact yeah. you kind of lose because pe most people are not able to see wide enough the picture um, and can see all the intricacies that are likely to go wrong in that process. Um, and, you know, even when we talk about, you know, magic taking the most cost-effective way of going um, isn't always strictly true. Um you know we have these kind of rules that we apply they are genuine they are general general rules of play and by that that what that means is they are the most common reactions so the most repeatable actions and i think this is what people forget when they start to think about kind of bigger works is they like either i need to know everything that's going on well no not really what you need to know is how does the ricochet go out you know when you drop drop the the metaphorical stone in the metaphorical pond can you actually see all the ripples because actually it's unlikely that you're the only one throwing a stone and i think that's where people forget that actually you can't you can't control everything in that way when you're when you're practicing because you're not the only one trying to control everything which is why it becomes very conservative like you said before in that actually it comes down to who's the most powerful thing yeah of course and there is no equality in a system that is based on who's the biggest and most powerful thing um, which is why Kumbaya utopias are not possible because that's not the rules of the engagement in this in this universe. 
regardless of how much people try to change that. Because one thing takes from another. You only have to look at how the way nature behaves for you to see that those are the rules of engagement. Survival of the fittest, you know, is 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 the fundamental part. Actually, what goes wrong most commonly uh, when we try to intervene um, in the world is we try to take out a predator. Um, and what normally happens when we take out a predator is the whole system goes into chaos. We then start having to intervene more often using things like culling in order to control populations in certain parts of the thing. Like, you know, ultimately that's what it happens. Or we impact from the smallest point. So we hit the most common thing at the bottom of the tree, you know, at the bot bottom of the the ecosystem's tree, like, you know, forgetting the impact of overfishing in order to then remove the smallest thing, because actually what impacts the biggest part of that ecosystem is the smallest thing, uh, things like krill and plankton. Um, and actually by not considering the, the smallest thing, um, you've got the same problem impacts all the way up the tree. Or, you know, you destroy a forest and therefore all of the trees that it requires to feed all the smallest things that the predators eat on um, are suddenly not there. Um, so regard there is no such thing as a small change. Is the point I'm trying to make there. It's also why communism doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> People are not very good at sharing. Well, that and the idea with communism is that we have some great set of rules which are nice and everyone can agree to, like not murdering and not doing nasty things and such. But one always has to remember that that needs to be enforced. And who's doing the enforcing? Because the person that's doing the enforcing or people that's doing the enforcing have all of the power there. And if they suddenly decide to change the rules, they have the power to change the rules, which is the problem is about power again. So, is there beauty in the mechanism of disease? Um, of course, but that's because I, I think um, all of these things in nature are beautiful, but that's my overleanings to the Venusian. Um, it's beautiful if you look at it in enough detail, is that what you're saying? Yeah. If you can appreciate the mechanics of something, uh, which sounds like a slightly more mercurial approach, but if you can appreciate how something does something, um, there is there is it's impossible to not consider that to be beautiful, um, regardless of if it, if it is a simple chain reaction or a very very complex one. Um, I think where the problems are is where people try to isolate one aspect of something and think that they can treat the whole, which is where a lot of the things you were talking about before about throwing a bunch of energy at something that is in cancer, like um, is useless or throwing, like I said, a, a multivitamin at a problem yeah. is never going to solve the issue because you've actually not considered it as a whole you've not considered how the machine works and therefore 
the impact of changing one small thing. I think smart people can look at the mechanisms of disease and find a certain amount of beauty in the architecture. Hmm. However, I don't think it takes that many people. You don't have to be smart to realize that if that disease is afflicted in someone that you care about and love, the beauty somehow very quickly fades, disappears. But then that is the issue that you're going to have to address because from a magical practitioner operating from a higher level, they would see that beauty still yet because what they understand is that yes, every human life is a book but that book is part of a series and the author of that series is still alive. So just because George Lucas says that he's retired and has sold something does not therefore mean that he can't be hired to rewrite yet another Star Wars fucking saga or some shit like that, you know? So one needs to remember the greater context of such. It's that greater context where the great decision-making comes in because if you have that person with that disease that you care about, you can decide to intervene or you can decide not to. But the choice that you make to intervene should be taken from the perspective of understanding how it affects the entire series of books and not merely this singular book, possibly even just this chapter, because you may not like what necessarily happens but people don't have that ability to see from that high up a level. And I think the reason for that is this mediocre pleb magic that people settle for, which is priest priestesshood, asking a deity or something like that to give you all of the answers. Because those that ask and understand how to really work with spirits like we talk about with regards to seeing them as university professors and such, is to ask you to teach them and to for them to lend you their perspective as being higher than yours. They lend you, you their perspective so that you therefore understand and importantly can make decisions from looking at a plane you're yet to crawl up from or up to. But it's very complicated. So is there anything else to say other than live long and prosper? Because you said something about some alchemical shit. Ultimately, we've covered we've covered it in what we're talking about. People will they probably don't realize don't. It. people just won't understand that that's what we talked about is the alchemical process. But the um and if you miss that, then you need to go back and listen again. So it is there. Um, no, I think some people will wonder how on earth any of this was about life extension and anti-aging. Aging. Um, them again, those also need to go back and listen again. Um, ultimately, witchcraft is about change. And whether or not you, and I'm without sounding sexist, have the balls to do it. So do you actually have the confidence and the power required to make the change that you want to change? You need to think about it and you need to make a decision as to whether or not this is the life for you. A lot of 
the things that practitioners think will get in their way very often won't because they think that the Saturnian, the Saturnine, these big things such as death and that are the things that end up taking your loved ones in your life in such a way. When in reality, if you were to ask Saturn about it, it doesn't care. As she says, she reaps them all in the end. At the end of the day, this is the structure of the universe. If you want to live for thousands upon thousands of years, Saturn really couldn't give a shit about yeah. that. Because thousands upon thousands of years is really a blink of the eye from the perspective of the entire universe. So there's something else going on, remember. You cannot, as they always do, blame the messenger. Hmm. You blame death because you died. Is that really fair? I don't think that's fair. No. You're blaming the mechanism. Someone sent you a letter and you're blaming the postman for putting it through your door. You need to start thinking a little differently. Yeah. And do you want to say the famous line? The episode's called? What? From Live Spock Long and, and Prosper. Yeah, live long and prosper. All right, then. Bye, them bitches. I mean, witches. Just imagine we're waving at you.